Well, good morning again. Let's, uh, we're going to dig into the scriptures this morning. We've got a few texts that we want to have a look at. We're carrying on our series, <coughs> excuse me, we're carrying on our series called uh, Unforced Rhythms of Grace. But today marks a bit of a shift for us. Over the past, well, about eight months, we have been, this has been our main thread, asking this question, what is it for us to learn these unforced rhythms of grace? Now, I can't remember, I didn't put it up today. What is it for us to learn what it is when Jesus says, are you tired, are you weary? Come to me and learn from me these unforced rhythms of grace and I will give you rest. And we've been saying that there are some practices, some things we can do. What are these things that Jesus is teaching as we walk with him that can help us to live well as believers, to live well as followers of Jesus, to live a life that actually would say to people... Perhaps there's something in this good news of Jesus after all. And so we wanted to, we've been asking, what are some of these practices we can do? And the f- whole first section has been, how do we be with Jesus? What, how, what is it to be with Jesus? And so we talked about silence and solitude. We talked about community. We talked about prayer. We spent a couple of weeks looking at what Sabbath is. We talked about lament. We talked about fasting. And then last week, when we came back to this series, we spent the Sunday looking at Eucharist and how in communion there's a space for us that we can encounter Jesus. We also said that because this is the season of Lent, we're going to take communion every week uh, through the season of Lent. That's not been our normal practice, but we said, well, you know what? If this seems like a good thing to do for us to meet with Jesus, then it seems like a good thing for us to do every week through Lent. So we will be taking communion and we'll have a different person from our community leading us each week and today later. Sarah is going to lead us around the table. But that has brought us to the end, at least for now, of these practices that help us be with Jesus. And we're beginning to ask the question of, well, what would it be like to become like Jesus? What are some of the things that we would observably be doing? What are some of the things that we would be involved with as we become like Jesus? And so the next section of this series, we'll look at some practices there. And then the final section is beginning to do the things Jesus did, and we'll spend some time talking about those. Today, we're going to talk about simple living, or living simply. I love some of the simple things in life. I have a few that bring me great joy. Perhaps one of my favorite is uh, when you get a new pair of socks, Pulling on a brand new pair of socks is a special feeling. It's like genuinely wonderful. I can tell by the looks on your face that most of you don't share that particular joy. But it's, um, I, for me, one of the simple pleasures of life, a brand new pair of socks being pulled on. I, anyway, uh, what, what other things are simple? Uh, I absolutely love taking a long hot shower in the middle of the day for no good reason at all. Just, it's like a little quiet space, just me on my own, steamy hot weather, doesn't, steamy hot shower, doesn't matter what the weather's like outside or what's going on, I am in my happy place. A simple pleasure in life. Perhaps my greatest simple pleasure in life though is a meal shared with friends. 
I, I think there is nothing in my life that brings me joy than a long, lazy meal shared with friends. And if the food's good, that's an extra definite bonus. Simple things. None of them are terribly costly. All of them are fairly easily accessible. And they all bring me great joy. But we have to realize that life isn't really simple, is it? We live at this point in history, at this point the type of culture we experience. Life is deeply complex. There are so many things that are going on and pressing in on us. And we've talked about lots of them through this series. The kind of busyness that so many of us encounter. The fact that uh, digital uh, noise infects just about every part of our lives. And so finding space from that can be difficult. The complexities of the political systems that we've seen be under threat or at least be shaken uh, in the Western world over the last uh, five years or so. All of these things, and then of course uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, the the complexity that that seems to bring to our lives. And so to talk about living simply seems like something a million miles away from our real lived lives. And yet I'm convinced that actually there's something profound for us to learn to live more simply. I have found this an incredibly difficult sermon to write. I'm just going to be honest with you. For a number of reasons. But one, because I felt like I kept feeling challenged. I like nice things in life. I I really do. And I, I sometimes was struggling to go, I'm not sure that that that's all been appropriate. We're not talking particularly today about wealth and money. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks' time. We're going to talk about money and giving and all that kind of stuff. I'm really excited for that sermon. I'm not going to tell you exactly when it is because I know none of you will show up. Um, But we are going to talk about how we do a simple life. We do want to talk about the relationship to wealth, but we want to talk about something more than that, about a posture of living that is about simplicity rather than complexity or wealth. I want to say a couple of things in introduction. One of the challenges with this is that we are surrounded by consumerism. I will say some more about this later, but it's important we understand this as the overarching uh, kind of narrative that we have. Because consumerism is everywhere. Everything we do today is being monetized. They are trying to convince us to buy something. And do you know the primary way advertisers do that? They convince us that our lives are somehow deficient without whatever product they're selling us. They say they're fundamentally against the notion of living simply. Because they want us to generate wealth for other people in whatever way that that is necessary for that particular type of advert. And so we need to be careful that when we are coming to talk about simplicity, we recognize at the beginning that this is fundamentally a subversive act. It undercuts everything our culture is about. And one of the main narratives is actually very anti this whole message of simplicity. 
Does it mean, therefore, that wealth is inherently bad? We'll say a lot more about this in a few weeks' time, but it needs said at the moment. Well, no, because it seems like Jesus welcomed many with wealth. In fact, it would seem like Jesus had a bunch of benefactors who actually funded his ministry, and those people were wealthy people. Paul had exactly the same model of ministry. So it does appear that wealth isn't in and of itself bad, and as we'll talk about in a few weeks' time, it does, however, bring some particular challenges. Those of us that are blessed with wealth have a particular set of challenges, or the gospel brings some particular challenges that don't exist otherwise. We do need to recognize that actually a whole lot of the people with wealth around Jesus were women. And on International Women's Day, it's worth us celebrating the fact that women were a huge reason that Jesus could operate in his ministry as he did. Uh, We think of people like Joanna and Mary Magdalene in particular. But there could be much longer lists than that. So wealth isn't inherently bad. It's what we do about it. There are, however, 119 references to currency in the New Testament. Jesus has a lot to say about money. So come back in a few weeks' time and we'll find out what those are. Today, though, we want to talk about simplicity. I want to tell you a story of someone who once said these words. I have had a life well lived. Okay, those were the words. A life well lived. What was that story? Well, it was a story of someone who wanted to be a Sunday school teacher and was told, I'm afraid we don't need any Sunday school teachers. And so this person said, okay, well, what if I can get my own children? Can I have a Sunday school? And they said, sure. So this lady went and rounded up all the children in her neighborhood and dragged them down to the church so that she could lead a Sunday school. She told them all about Jesus. A simple life, but brought her great joy. She learned the piano when she was a little girl. Uh, That was no mean feat, for she was severely sight-impaired. She eventually became a harmonium player for the children. She played organ and piano. She learned to read music and sang in a choir that toured all around the country. A life well lived, telling people about Jesus. A very, very simple life. Nothing complicated about it. When she was five years old, she had to go and sit in the big school because she uh, had to wait an hour until she could go home. Her big sister was at the, at the big school and she was to uh, go to her big sister's class. The teacher was very unsure what to do with this young five-year-old girl. And her sister said, well, I'll tell you what, give her a set of knitting needles. This lady sat at five years old and knitted a square. And when she was asked what it was for, she said it was for granny that lived up the close from her. I don't think it was her actual granny, just a a person who lived up the close that they referred to as granny, whose hands were all burned. Because in those days, the way that you made a cup of tea was you put a big metal pot on the top of a fire uh, or on top of the stove and obviously the whole kettle got hot and you couldn't and so this lady kept burning herself because she had nothing to pick it up with this five-year-old girl knitted a square so that this lady would have something to pick up 
simple life. A life well lived. Not complicated. In fact, she was born before plastic was invented. A simple life. A life well lived. That lady is part of our church. She can't come anymore. She's completely blind. She lives uh, over in Liberton. Her name is Jane Penman. And I sat with her this week on her 87th birthday and she told me these stories of a life well lived. A simple life, not complicated by so many other things. In some ways, a life that we would, I want to be careful how I say this, but we would pity. Blind at a time when there weren't a huge amount of work for dis- uh, um, a huge amount of support for the disabled. Ill-sighted, she, she was telling me the first pair of glasses she got were actual glass because there was no plastic. That's how we had the plastic conversation. And so she had these metal frames with these enormous thick jam jar-like bottoms in her, and they were heavy. Now, if, if you've met Jane, Jane's about four foot two. So I, I, I just had a funny picture in my head of her kind of tipping over because these massive glasses were on her. A life to be pitied or a life to be envied. A simple life always loving Jesus. Amazing. So how do we embrace simplicity with all the pressures that are on us? We're going to look at three passages. If you have your Bible with you, then let me encourage you to pick them up. Simplicity, not complexity. That's what we're after. What does Jesus have to say about that? If you've got your Bible with you, turn to Luke chapter 10. The words will come up on the screen here. I'm going to read from verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to go to every town and place where he was about to go. This is the advanced team, if you like. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. What is Jesus saying here? He tells them not to take a bag or a purse and not to greet anyone on the road. What's he doing? Is he saying to be foolish and rude? Well, that wouldn't seem to be the Jesus we know, does it? Actually, what he's saying is, I want you to be focused. I want you to understand with some clarity what you're about. See, sometimes the noise of complexity is just simply a lack of focus. 
There's so much going on that we're unable to narrow in and see the things that really matter. What are we really called to do? Who are we really called to be? What are we really called to give ourselves to? And let me not be clear, I am not over-spiritualizing this. So this isn't the, the talk or the bit where I say, right, therefore you must be in church seven days a week doing all these different things. No, God has called us to all very specific places. We have always talked as a family about the fact that, yes, I am called to be a pastor, but my wife is called to be a GP. And we will balance those things in our life because her calling is equally as important as my calling. One is not more important than the other. But it does give us some focus, some simplicity in the midst of complexity, the ability to make decisions and focus on that which God has called us to We are not perfect at that. We're a long way from perfect at that. We're learning. But we're trying to embrace something of what Jesus says here, which is this challenge to not be distracted by all these other things, not be distracted by people on the road, to go and do that which he has sent us to do. All of us recognize this, right? We have all sorts of things pressing in on us. Family requests, family demands, work demands, leisure demands. We've got these little things in our pocket, I've left mine down there, that have all the information in the world that we would ever want. And yet, most of us spend most of our time on it playing Candy Crush or something. And you know what? The little thing sends us messages to remind us to play Candy Crush or that somebody once sent something nice to us on Facebook seven years ago, so we should go and have a look at that. And so we get this digital uh, pressure that comes in upon us. And so the simplicity gets lost. And so let let me encourage us To seek simplicity in the calling of Jesus, in the sending of Jesus, and to just keep focused on that. That will not be easy to do. But that's the beginning of a heart that is set on simplicity, is to begin to ignore the noise around about it, or to put that out of focus like this image does, and to be focused on the one thing that God is calling us to be and to do And yes, it's important that you serve in church and participate in church, but I want you to hear that our whole lives are part of the calling of God. And so wherever we find ourselves, we must recognize that that is where he has put us. On a very side note, we're going to do some courses after Easter. And one of the courses we're going to be doing is a faith and work uh, course. So we're going to actually take some time to look at why does it matter that we are a people of faith who value work and the workspace and the work that we do. So if you're interested in that, just knock it away in the back of your head and we'll spend some time talking about that uh, after, after Easter. So the first one, simplicity, not complexity. The next one, simplicity, not consumption. This is the one that really gets got me all week. I, and I, if I can, I be honest, church. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you didn't seem sure about that there. <laughs> okay, um, I, I'm going to be honest then. Uh, the, 
I find this really difficult because this is the space where we begin to press into those things of did I really need this thing that I bought? Or So I, I got a new watch a couple of weeks ago to replace an old watch that wasn't working really well. And it's a nice watch. And I'd used my Christmas money to buy it. But did I really need this watch? I don't know. I don't know. Didn't put me in debt. Wasn't a sinful thing from that side of things. But did I really need this watch? That's been my challenge this week. And so I'm not sure this point is as well articulated as it might be because I'm still trying to work it out in me. So I ask for your grace with me as we talk about this. I have a video. I'm going to show the video first, if that's okay, and then we'll come back to the text. Hopefully this is going to work. I want you to watch this. This is a guy uh, on American television uh, that made me grateful that we don't get American television in the UK. He's talking about uh, the coronavirus. He is uh, himself a trader in, uh, in Wall Street. Um, and uh, this was his comments that he made uh, to the television. So hopefully this is going to work. We'll watch this. It's only 30 seconds long. Um, If you try to quarantine everybody because of the generic type flu. Now, I'm not saying this is the generic type flu, but maybe we'd be just better off if we gave it to everybody and then in a month it would be over because the mortality rate of this probably isn't... Maybe. Yeah. That's all right. So teach me for not keeping it simple. That was a joke. It obviously wasn't funny. Okay. Think about how the world would be if you tried to quarantine everybody because of the generic type flu. Now, I'm not saying this is the generic type flu, but maybe we'd be just better off if we gave it to everybody and then in a month it would be over because the mortality rate of this probably isn't going to be any different if we did it that way than the long-term picture. But the difference is we're wreaking havoc on global and domestic economy. Did you hear what he said there? His suggestion was that we give everyone this flu, okay? And actually, there's a really, I read a really interesting article of somebody making an argument about that, that actually thing. But here's the problem. This flu has a mortality rate, so people would die. The mortality rate's not clear at the moment from this, so... Uh, in, in the interest of not being a fearmonger, I'm, I'm desperate not to do it, to say this, but it could be around one percent. It could be less than that. The current numbers that you'll see are between three and four percent, but they are exaggerated because of the way that they count the numbers at the moment. But it could be anything like that. So let's suppose we just gave everybody in America the flu, and let's suppose that three percent number was true. That would mean that somewhere around about ten or eleven million people would die. Okay just so that we'd all be better after that. But that's not his concern. The bit at the end makes it really clear. He would happily sacrifice 10 or 11 million people on the altar of Wall Street because the only reason he wants to do it is to calm the markets down. That is consumption. 
That's the world that we live in where people are more concerned about the state of Wall Street and the market and how the dollar's performing and how the FTSE 100's performing than they are about human lives. Terrifying. What does Jesus have to say about this? Luke chapter 16, if you have your Bibles. And we're going from verse 19 through to 26. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. Those were expensive things. It was expensive to have purple in those days. And lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in agony. What is this teaching us? We could be here all day because there's a whole lot that that's not teaching us. It's not teaching us anything about hell. It's actually not teaching us anything about a kind of karmic faith. This is really important. That that what that's not teaching is you do good things, you get good things. Okay, that's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. We We don't believe that. So that's not what's being taught there. But what Jesus is absolutely doing is having a go at people like our friend here who wanted to get kill 10 million people just so that he could have uh, the market stabilized. We cannot live as Christians with a sense of consumption that overrules everything else. That means that we don't take care of other people because we are so wrapped up in acquiring stuff for ourselves and our own wealth. That's at very least what Jesus is teaching us with this story of the rich man and Lazarus. He's teaching us much more, but he's at least teaching us that. What does that mean for us? Well, it does mean that we should think very carefully about what we buy. Do we need it? would be a really interesting question to be one of the first questions we ask when we go to the shops or when we decide to purchase something new. Do we need it? Then I would love us to start asking some other questions. Where was it made? Who was it made by? What are the consequences of it? I I had a friend who was a missionary for a while in Bangladesh working in the Uh, the garment factories there and his job, he was an engineer he went out there um, to help uh, factories and uh, companies to have better practices and and, uh, to run their their companies better so that their staff were better cared for and in particular that the environment was better cared for so one of the fascinating things I learned is that the worst thing in the world for the environment is a pair of black jeans 
So, because the amount of dye that's required to use it is dyes all the genes black, but then they just dump all the dye into the river. And so the waterways in Bangladesh are almost unusable because of the amount of uh, chemicals that are being dumped into the rivers there because of uh, the garment industry. Would it be too much for us to commit to a simple life that said we won't buy stuff that exploits people? There are loads of websites you can go to that will help you understand what happens with that. I am not perfect in this regard. I'm I'm, I'm here as a learner among you, not as someone who is perfect. Um, In a couple of months' time, we have a guy coming to talk with us called Andy Bevan, who works with uh, International Justice Mission, uh, who work around the world looking at some of these justice issues, and he'll bring some really significant information to us. But for this point, when we're thinking about simplicity, do I need this thing? Where did it come from? And then where's it going? It's an equally profound question. So when I'm done with this thing, what happens to it? We are called to be stewards of creation. If we just buy disposable stuff, it gets disposed of. Where does it go? It goes in landfill. It goes in the ocean. It goes in all these kind of places. And we continue to cause a climate emergency because we are not willing to address our own levels of consumption. A life that begins to tend towards the kind of simplicity I think Jesus would have us do, asks those three questions. Do I need it? Where's it come from? Who who does this impact? And then, where's it going? I'm going to finish that point there. I could be here all day. Nobody wants to be here all day. Third one. Simplicity instead of worry. This is a lifestyle thing. We live in a culture where I think we are encouraged to worry at every turn, to encounter stress, to... Let me be careful how I say this. Where anxiety is pushed upon us in so many ways, deliberately and and, uh, unintentionally. Jesus has much to say about this. We're just going to look at one passage. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 30. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And the answer, of course, is... No. And in actual fact, with the advances of medical medicine since the Bible was written, we know that worry removes years from our life. It doesn't add them. What is Jesus saying here? Is this an 
a, a ridiculous statement that's so far-fetched that we could never live like that? Or is he saying something else? And I want to suggest he's saying something else. He's saying that if we understand how much we are loved by God the Father, how much we are cared for, more than the fields, more than the sparrows, then we would realize that we can trust him for our provision. Does that seem reasonable? It shouldn't. I mean, it's fundamentally unreasonable, right? I mean, the, the, the reasonable thing to do is to say, it's up to me to take care of myself and my family and to make sure we have enough for what we need, right? That's, that's the reasonable approach. And Jesus is saying, stop worrying about that stuff. Stop worrying about that stuff. I want you to learn that you are so loved that actually all of this other stuff becomes far less important. And there becomes a simplicity to life because you're living out of a relationship with God that means that that is the primary thing you're living for and all this other stuff fades into, uh, into insignificance. The people I have seen that do this best are people who know they are going to die. I have seen some elderly people do this and I have seen some younger folks who have terminal illnesses do this. Where suddenly, they suddenly have this realization how good God is. How faithful God is. How loving God is. And then all of a sudden they look around and they see all the stuff they have and they realize it means not a jot. And yet the thing they've spent so much time worrying about has been the stuff and not investing themselves in that life. And it, it's incredible to witness and profoundly challenging. I'm going to finish here. This sermon should not induce guilt. I'm worried that it does because I haven't done a great job. If you feel guilty right now, or shameful, I want to lift that off you. That's not what this is about. It should be challenging and provoking, I hope. But here's the point. We must, if we desire to live a life with Jesus, recognize that it's going to be a call to simplicity, not to consumption or complexity or to worry. And the only way that is possible is as you and I learn to love Jesus. And as we learn that we are loved by God. Not just tolerated, not just liked, not just put up with, not just, oh, you'll do, but loved, and as we said last week, chosen by God. Because you are precious in his sight. That is how we begin to live a simple life. That we begin to understand that reality. And it brings to us all of these other things. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Nick and then Sarah will come and lead us around the table. Father God, we thank you that for the most part in this country we live in abundance. We recognize the privilege of that in a global scale. 
Lord God, would you help us above all things to know that we are loved by you. To know that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. To know that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That we were chosen by you. That you so loved us that you gave your only son that we might have life. Help us to know that we are loved. And in light of that love, would you help us to simplify our lives? To not worry. To not just be consumers. And to try with all our might to focus on you. And to rest in your love and begin to realize that the complexities of the world are brought into sharp focus as we fix our eyes on what you have called us to and who you have called us to be. So walk with us and lead us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song and then Sarah's going to come and lead us and then uh, after the service we have the opportunity for prayer so over in this corner we will tidy away the children's toys Uh, if anyone would like prayer we would love uh, to pray with you then